Hi everyone, welcome to the Blue Ridge Church of Christ podcast. My name is Phil Bruns. Thank you so much for taking time from your day to be with us. We continue our series on our summer growing season. And boy, today I've got the story of all stories. It has been called the most beautiful story ever. And we're going to talk about it and what it means for us in just a moment. Yes, it's been called the most beautiful story ever. It has suspense, it has love, it has danger, it has denial, sacrifice, tragedy. No, it's not a Hallmark movie, not the Titanic movie or a Marvel movie. It's actually the book of Ruth that we find in the Old Testament. The book of Ruth, the most beautiful story ever. I'm going to start reading in chapter 1 and verse 1 of Ruth. In the days that the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. And I'll stop right there. In the days the judges ruled, when there was famine in the land, immediately the book sets its stage like it was a dark and stormy night. That It sets the stage of what's going to happen. It sets the stage of, of this oncoming story and the, the context that it is in. It starts within the days the judges ruled. You know, after Joshua and his generation had died, the Israelites always didn't put their best spiritual forward. Uh, Very quickly after that generation, we find in Judges uh, chapter 2, verse 12, we find that they forsook the Lord. In other words, they started giving up on God, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They started to forget about him. Because of that, there were many that fought and were uh, successful against God's people, the Israelites. They would come and, and take, their, take their things and take their people. And there was much death and destruction. And in Judges 2, verse 16, it says that the Lord then raised up judges. Some of these judges, some of these leaders, these military uh, leaders uh, would love God, but most didn't. It was a difficult time for God's people, the Israelites, because many, many of them started to really lose sight of God. And thus, many started in turn to follow their own gods. So it was a very difficult time spiritually if you wanted to remain faithful to the true almighty God. That first verse also says that there's a famine in the land. Now this is interesting because there were other famines in the Old Testament prior to this. In Genesis chapter 12, we find that now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. In Genesis chapter 26, says now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abram's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. In Genesis chapter 41, Joseph, having foretold seven years of famine uh, coming to Pharaoh, and the land of Egypt, in which he also suggested that they should save grain uh, for the people during this time. And this prophecy, this dream that uh, Joseph had foretold did come true. In verse 56, it says, When the famine had spread over the whole land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. Famine brought hard times. There's no doubt about that. Food would be scarce. The cattle wouldn't be fed. Babies would be crying of hunger. But yet in these dark dark and difficult times, God was always working throughout these famines. And if you look at the result, 
of working through those famines, each time you would see that God's people or the Israelites, God's, God's uh, people would advance in some way. Through these difficult times, there was always good to be found. And you know, that's been common during our summer growing season. Not that a difficult time is required, but even if there's hard things or, or the hardest things, do not stop God from moving in great ways. So when the book of Ruth starts out, that in the days the judges ruled, there was famine in the land, it begs the question of, oh my goodness, what is going to happen here? The title of my lesson today is called God's Plans Are dot dot dot. God's plans are dot dot dot. So bear with me as I read quite a bit of Ruth to set the stage of the story. I'm going to start in chapter 1, or continue in chapter 1 and verse 2. It says, So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. The names of the two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Boab to live there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women. One was named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malan and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road and would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons? Who could come and be your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to two sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Lord... Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley fest 
was beginning. It is an incredible famine that sends this family of four, which included Naomi, her husband, and two sons to Moab. Now for a little thought on where they were going from, where they were coming from is Bethlehem on the west side of the Dead Sea. Moab laying to the east side of the Dead Sea. It would be more than 100 miles of travel from one place to another. So they do that as a family to help survive the famine that was happening. And the boys would find two Moabite women in their new land to marry. But then all of a sudden, all of the men die. Naomi's husband and her two sons die. Naomi, later on, after 10 years, hears that there's relief in her homeland and she starts to find her way back. And she insists that her daughters-in-law stay back in their homeland. They had been kind to Naomi. And in return, this was Naomi's view of being kind back to them, to send them back. But God actually had bigger thoughts. And that's, isn't that often the case? Where we have thoughts and we have plans, but actually God has different thoughts and different plans. And so Naomi, in her effort, again tries a second time to send them back. And Orpah does turn back, but not Ruth. And Ruth, in fact, delivers one of the most poetic lines that you'll find in all the scriptures. She says, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. For Ruth, she had come to find faith in a God she didn't previously know. But how did that work? How did that happen in spite of her death of her husband? I mean, even Naomi. Naomi is self-admittedly bitter and says that the Lord has turned against her. I mean, who would want to follow someone like that? Who would want what she has? You know, I can't speak to whether the Lord turned against her or not, but I certainly understand why she may have felt that. But there is something going on about Naomi that despite her bitterness, despite the hardness and the badness in her life, there is something about her where Ruth is able to find faith in God through her. Even Naomi, when she comes back to Bethlehem, she's feeling so bad that she wants to change her name. Don't call me Naomi. My life is horrible. She's got some feelings going on about what is going on. But her faith in all of that does not involve questioning who God is. In fact, she has a realistic view of herself. She's being very open and vulnerable about her struggles. But she's also open to how God might work through them. I mean, she fully confesses that I am bitter. but also acknowledging who God is. Her kindness had emulated the kindness of God over the years, despite things that might have not felt kind. Her life, I think, was actually a reflection of her belief. There's two things we can point to, I think, that show her view of God. One is just his existence. I mean, she's totally believing that God is still there and still working. She refers to him 
uh, also as an almighty power. She calls him almighty twice in verses 20 and 21. I think there is power in Naomi's spirit that is calling Ruth, even in Naomi's despair. There is power in Naomi's view of God despite the difficulties, despite feeling like life has turned against her, despite feeling that, in fact, as she says, that the Lord has turned against her. There is something in that that called to Ruth that Ruth came to faith in her God. So for Ruth, you know, as I said, she comes to faith in God. You know, it does speaks to us is that, that people see how you and I react during difficult times. You want to help your kids find their God. Help kids find Jesus. Well, during your difficult times, how do you respond? Do your kids, do they see your openness and your faith as Ruth saw in Naomi? Does your family see the good things about God despite difficulties you may be facing? Ruth, again, comes to this faith despite the headwinds that Naomi is facing, and so much so she's willing to pick up and actually leave her home and go to a land where she is now, in fact, the foreigner. She is in a land where the customs are different, and she only knows Naomi. She knows no one else. And every time she looks at Naomi, it's a reminder every day that her husband had passed away. So for Ruth, it is no small task that she had picked up and traveled those hundred plus miles to a land again where she now finds herself as the foreigner. And if you caught the timing of their arrival in the Bethlehem area, it was at the harvest time of barley, which is significant because as we continue in in chapter 2, of the book of Ruth, we find that Ruth would glean behind the harvesters of the barley. In other words, she would come behind them and pick up the small pieces of grain that are left behind. Which also speaks to the resources when Naomi and Ruth uh, arrived back in Bethlehem. You know, it wasn't the wealthy that would glean behind the barley harvesters. It was actually those who were in more need. They did not have a lot of resources when they returned. They returned with very little, in fact. And in chapter 2, a man named Boaz arrives into the farms where Naomi and Ruth are from. And at his arrival several times, it is said that Ruth is said to be from Moab. She is a Moabite woman. She even refers to herself as the foreigner in the land when Boaz asks who she is. But Boaz notices Ruth's humility, her kindness. He hears of the story of how she helped Naomi and she sees her respectfulness. He even goes so far that he instructs his harvesters to leave some of the harvest, some of the barley laying on the ground deliberately so that she can find plenty of it to make it easier. When Ruth returns to uh, Naomi after meeting Boaz, she reports back in, and I will pick up in Ruth chapter 2, verse 19. It says, Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at the place where she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. 
The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative and is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. This certainly speaks to Ruth, again, being the foreign person and people looking at her funny, like, oh, she is the Moabite person. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where there's someone that's not like you in a room or you're the one where you're not like everyone else. If you're a man, have you ever been in, in a room that's filled with women or a woman in a room that's filled with men that you feel just a little bit odd? Well, I think you probably multiply that several times, and that's how Ruth is feeling in this land where people are calling her, oh, she's the foreign Moabite woman. Through a series of events, though, in chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Ruth, we see Ruth's faithfulness grow in the midst of these headwinds. We see humility in her where there is danger and injustice. We see kindness in her service to Boaz, even going so far as to lay at his feet at night. We see her obedience to both Naomi, Boaz, and ultimately God, listening to direction. Ultimately, Boaz is able to purchase the field where Ruth had been gleaning, and in the laws of the time was able to fall in love and marry Ruth. I wish I could talk so much more about this incredible story. It is worth your time to read the book of Ruth. But why this story? Why this book? Why do we find this in the Old Testament? Well, it's not quite done just yet. Let me pick up again in Ruth chapter 4 and verse 13. It says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. If you would read in Matthew chapter 1, you would read the same lineage. The same lineage, of course, that is in the line of our Jesus, the Lord and Savior of us all. God's plan for this Moabite woman who grew in faith has her own book. She is only one of two women in all the Bible that has a book named after her. Little did she ever know. Little did she ever know that we would be recording a podcast today about her life. God went to huge lengths to reach this woman, going so far as having a famine and this family moving and the sons finding Ruth and Orpah and Ruth having the heart, seeing in Naomi a love for God that there was something there that was calling her. God had gone such a long way to reach this woman, Ruth. And he did for you too. 
He did for you too. He's gone to huge lengths to reach for you. My first thought in this big long introduction of the book of Ruth is that God's plans are bigger than your headwinds. You know, you've made it through headwinds in the past and you might even have some now. And I'm telling you, if you're not feeling it now, you're going to have some down the road, right? I mean, that's just the way life goes. And things that we can grow in, it, it can it, even during those times, the story really helps us. We can grow in our openness and vulnerability because those are good things when we are struggling. That's where people can help us when we're being vulnerable, when we're being open. People that are near us can help us. But even in that, we should never forget who God is. He knows you. He knows your headwinds, but he has plans for you, even though you may not know them. He has plans for you. Like Naomi said, he is almighty. I'm reminded of the Revelations chapter 1 and verse 8, where it says, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Naomi knew that he was the Almighty. And even in her sorrow, in her bitterness, in her difficulty, when she arrives back, she is still able to maintain the friendships with her women friends. If you noticed at the end of chapter 4, they were super excited for her that she finally had a grandson. That is a woman who had not lived a bitter life even though she felt bitter. That is a woman that didn't exude about life being so difficult for her. Because that would in fact drive friends away. That would cause some loneliness. But even in her hardship, in her bitterness, she continued to acknowledge who God was and know and believe that he was almighty. That called Ruth, but it also helped her to have the friendships with the other women that were with her when they were so excited for her to finally see that grandchild. So from our end, our job is also to trust that God has plans, that he in fact is almighty. From our end, we need to plant our feet in that and anchor our heart in those facts that God is the Almighty. I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 26 where it says, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. God can help us work through the worst of times. We just need to keep on loving him. We just need to keep on trusting him and having our feet planted in the fact that he is the almighty. Ephesians 6 verse 10, Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. God's plans, again, are bigger than your headwinds. My second thought is God's plans are bigger than your life. So the whole point of the book of Ruth is to show how God was able to draw in this woman from far away and put her in the lineage of Jesus. What lengths he went to for her behalf. How he orchestrated so many different events and times and places to bring her to Boaz. 
He took Ruth, a Moabite woman we would never know anything about. An unbelievable, powerful story of fulfillment and God's power and his strength and God executing his plans. Revelation chapter 4, it says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Our God is a big God. His plans are big plans. They are bigger than my life, bigger than your life, and we can trust in them. God has you here today, wherever you are listening to this. He has you here today. He has brought you to this podcast to listen to these words. He has brought you to discover who he is. For me, he plucked some boy out of a little town in northwest Ohio to be able to offer you this story. Everyone has their story of how we got here. Is it an accident? I don't think so. Is it by chance? I don't think so. Let me read you Revelations 4 verse 11 again. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. God has orchestrated our lives to be together. For his glory, he cares enough for you and me to do it. Therefore, our job is to continue. Strive to be humble, to be kind, and be obedient to God's will because his plans are always bigger than your life. Some thoughts for you to take with you today is to go back and read the book of Ruth if you haven't done it in some time. For me, it had been a long time since I read it. And when I read it in preparation for this lesson, oh my goodness, I could talk about it for a long time. It's an incredible book of God's power, his planning, and who he is. Think about his plans as you read through the book, about his plans being bigger than your headwinds and your life as a whole. And consciously think about, you know what, I'm going to read this and increase my faith. I'm going to increase my faith somehow, some way, to what he is doing in my life and around my life every day. Call him the Lord God Almighty in your prayers. And if you think of it, dream of what possible crazy things God might have in store for your life. You'd have no idea that is happening. I hope that was helpful, and if you liked it, would like to hear more, please don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. And if you're in the Charlottesville, Virginia area, would like to stop in and visit us for a Sunday service, please send us a note or visit our website at blueridgedisciples.org for more information.